When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bengal Tiger Podcast. I'm Matthew Brune, and joining me once again is Shay Dixon. Shay, uh, not recording this on Saturday night, recording this on Sunday morning slash afternoon because I had to drive back from um, Tuscaloosa. But uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, yes. Matty B got his first Tuscaloosa experience, and yeah. uh, he did it in the way many LSU fans do. He stayed meridian he yep. sat in traffic for two hours to get back to back to meridian after the game and then mm-hmm. hopped on the road early the, this morning and made the uh it's an easy drive back yeah, to Baton Rouge like there. three and a half like three and a half hour Not drive bad. so we made it what are you doing i realized are i need are, lis- are you listening to music are you listening to podcasts are you on uh podcast mostly um I've been on. I've, I've listened to the Cover Three podcast since we were at twenty four seven because I know Bud and over there um, and so I, I've listened to them a bit. Uh, what else? Um, music. I call call my parents or whatnot. Um, just kill time. Try to kill time any way possible. All right. Well, you ready to start? I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, a minute in. That's all we need on on the on the. All right, uh, LSU loses 42-28 in a game, Matty B, that with a minute left in the third quarter was 28-28. Uh, LSU has a great drive before halftime to even the score. Kyron Lacey gets that touchdown. Then they come out of halftime, drive down the field, get a score. Josh Williams bounces that one outside. LSU's up 28-21. It felt like there was a small sequence of plays when – and we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the game, but from a um, like a macro level, I'm just looking at everything that happened. The game swung, obviously, in a series of uh, just a couple of plays. Dallas Turner bats a ball down that Jaden Daniels throw in when LSU's driving down seven. It gets picked off. That gives them the ball at what? The 25. They mm-hmm. ran it in from there. They go up two scores. Remember, they actually got a stop there, but then the Harold Perkins uh, penalty, the horse collar penalty, that advanced the ball to the 10, I believe. Remember when they got the third down stop and Harold Perkins was called for the horse collar after the um, interception in the fourth quarter. That was another. There were so many just moments where, and we'll, we'll talk about it, but there were so many moments where LSU, you know, played well, but then was unable to convert in those key plays or made one small mistake. And Brian Kelly said after the game, and I know people, you know, are tired of Brian Kelly press conferences, but he said after the game, you know, we played well, but we didn't play at an elite level, which we needed to. Correct. Win. I think that summarizes it well. Here's uh, actually I'll step back um, for fans who are watched the game or are now trying to think about how, how it unfolded. LSU was very much in this one well beyond they, you know, at, they were in the Florida state game till halftime, then nothing else. LSU was in this game until the end of the third quarter. And the sequence, I think, that it begins is it's 28-28 after Bama answers. You're midway through the third quarter. And Jaden pops off a huge run 
Yep. And Will Campbell gets flagged with a holding that really didn't need to be. He didn't need to hold. Like, yeah. If he gets by him, Jaden's athletic enough to where you know, as a blocker, okay, if he's going to get by me, Jaden's going to take off anyways. Jaden picks up all those yards. It gets negated, and LSU punts for the first time in the game. Well, with well, only a few more, minutes left in the third quarter. Too, after the hold was the Mason Taylor drop. That's correct. So then what? was a second and 14 could have been a third and short Mason yeah. Taylor drops the ball. You've now run into a back-to-back bad sequence where Daniels had picked you up 30 yards or so, and now it's negated and you're at third and 17. You punt for the first time. They get the ball back. Obviously Alabama does uh, after that punt. Um, they go down the field. Uh, really the big play was, uh, or, well, there were a couple of big plays, but, uh, ultimately, Milrow uh, runs it in from 11 yards out. That puts Bama up 35-28, and then that's when it really twists. And we're all in a few minutes here, the final uh, minutes of the third quarter. Uh, LSU comes out. They get that, like, illegal snap. Um, yep. And then you go right into the fourth quarter where on the first, first play, play um, yep. Jaden, second and eight, they're running a slant. Um, Dallas Turner gets his hands up, bats it down. Terry and Arnold's right there, catches it. They've got the ball at the 25. They run it right down, score again, this time Jace McClellan. And suddenly the game is a 14-point game. Well, you still know Matty B. Okay, bad fortune there with the turnover, bad fortune there with uh, the hold and the drop, and now it's swung on us. But LSU, you've got the best offense in the country. There's 14 minutes left on the clock. You can drive down and do this. The very next play, roughing the passer, not a targeting call, um, but Dallas Turner takes Jane Daniels out of the game. He's in concussion protocol, and they were never going to come back from there. And the game ended there. There were no more points for either team. Bama grinded out the clock, and yeah. that was it. Um, Nussmeyer came in, wasn't able to do anything. I know Malik dropped a third down pass or fourth down pass, but at that point, Without Jaden Daniels, you're not coming back from 14 down. It just didn't feel that way. Even had Jaden Daniels stayed in the game, I'm not saying they would have won because we're going to get to the crux of this issue. It's defense. Who would have said that if Bama needed to keep scoring points, that they would have just kept scoring points because that's how bad the LSU defense has been. And I'll stop there. I'll let you give your thoughts from Tuscaloosa, and then I want to move into some – Let's, I mean, I want to start with the defense. So your thoughts from the night, and then we'll go there. Yeah, I, I we can start with the defense. I do have some offensive takeaways, which I think are interesting as well. Um, go for them. But, okay, I mean, offensively, and in big picture-wise, this game went how I expected it to go. And I told you this on the phone, but the margins this game were played in, LSU didn't execute in those margins. That was the big thing for me. Offensively, you met, we mentioned the hold, right? We mentioned the drop pass. Uh, we The fourth and one, the first quarter, they don't convert. The field goal, they miss. Um, the sack that led to that field goal being missed. Like, you can go back and probably name six, seven plays where you have to execute probably 90% of them in order to win this game, and they didn't execute really any of them offensively. And the only reason this offense was good, I do think the offensive line, both offensive lines for both teams controlled the the line of scrimmage very, very well. Um, I think Alabama had one sack, LSU had two. but overall, and, and both quarterbacks were amazing. Yeah, and both quarterbacks were incredible, which we will talk about plenty. But um, LSU's offense, 
did not execute those plays within the margin. And it was a lot of Jaden Daniels bailing them out with his legs, obviously. But then he made a few terrific throws as well. He was awesome. You had the the great Malik neighbors, a couple great Malik neighbors catches, but the whole time. And that's why, I mean, going into the game, I had my best bets for the final lines was Ellis, uh, Jaden Daniels over 62 rushing yards. Like, this is a game where the secondary for Alabama is going to make things hard for them to throw the ball, and Daniel's going to have to run it. And he did. He was incredible. But um, as a unit, as an offense, they weren't able to execute on those key plays, which is the difference between scoring 28 points and scoring 42 points or 45 points, which they would have needed to win the game or have a chance to win the game. Ultimately, though, like you said, this is on the defense. This game even if they would have scored 42 points, they probably still would not have won the game. Um, and so that's where we can get into that now. Um, I just wanted to I, – I wrote about that, and I do feel like that is something that might get overlooked because of the defense, but uh, those are the plays that, like, swing a game, and you need those on the road against Alabama, and they just did not get them. Look, Alabama is a very tough place to play. I'll get into more of my general thoughts later. Uh, LSU is not as talented of a roster as Alabama. No. LSU did not execute like Bama did in spots last night. Bama got the turnover that was very key that swung the game that we talked about one of these teams needed in a game like this. And LSU's defense is what we thought it was, and they didn't play well enough. And when you're in a shootout and you don't have your starting quarterback and best player for the whole fourth quarter, it's just you're up against it. It's not going to happen. I'll tell you this. LSU entered the week with the number one Offense in college football, obviously, uh, they put up 500 yards last night. So, I mean, dude, um, they averaged 10.4 yards per play in the first half in the game with 8.2. Um, the offense, like, they moved the ball at an incredible rate. It's just like those key plays you have to make, they didn't quite make them. Uh, LSU uh, has the number, uh, as of this morning, has after the BAM game, has the number one uh, total offense in college football, 545 yards per game. Um, that's 10 yards ahead of Oregon. So even after a game like this where you're defeated as an LSU fan, Alabama's beaten you by 14, you put up 28, your starting quarterback got hurt, you made some miscues on offense, obviously, but really the defense you knew was going to hold you back. Yeah. You still come out of it and you have the nation's best-ranked offense per game yards. I mean, that is when that's what leads to the frustration of this defense, because you were six and three, Matty B with the reality that all three losses were to top 10 teams, Ole Miss, Bama, FSU. Those are all teams in the top 10 right now. All three of those losses were on the road, one in a neutral site, two of them in opposing venues, neutral. And in those three games, Matty B, the LSU offense combines for 101 points, okay? That's 33.6 per game. I know I said there'd be no math usually in my articles, but I can at least do it here. I'll double-check that, 101 divided by 3, 33.6. Let's call it 33.7 points per game. Right now in the SEC, scoring offense, 33.7 points per game would be fifth best ahead of Missouri. So in their three losses, if you average it out, the offense still had a top five SEC offense and a Missouri, above a Missouri level of output in terms yeah. of scoring. That's what's so hard to swallow here. You didn't score no points in games. You didn't go out there and just completely lay an egg. When you faced up against three top 10 teams, 
you averaged enough to win games. Your defense is so bad that you can score 49 in Oxford and lose. You can have a game like that where it's 28-28 into the third quarter, and if your quarterback's out, you're going to lose because the defense isn't going to be able to get stops. One was on a short field, but granted, Bama had been marching up on them all night. So I think for me, uh, if I'm looking at it from the perspective of how LSU fans should probably view this, it's year two. I'll get into that. I'm not making excuses. I'm stating reality. People want to be mad. They want to blame someone, all of this. The blame starts with defense, just like the blame a year ago started with special teams. It single-handedly lost them games last year. That's the same story for this defense. So if we're playing blame game, I don't even care to point to a player, a unit, you know, execution, a coach. It doesn't matter. It's all lumped together. The defense is this team's issue. That's on Brian Kelly to figure out how to fix it. And I I can open up on some things that you could do that I would suggest or that I think most would think would be commonplace. But the reality is this is this defense is so far from the LSU standard that you have the best offense in college football and you're six and three. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I felt good about I okay, I didn't feel good about LSU's defense going in, but I felt good about Alabama maybe shooting itself in the foot, right? And the offensive line maybe not being able to block. And early in the game, LSU's defensive line looked like it was getting there. It was getting to Milrow. And then what happened the rest of the game was something I did not account for. I don't know how many people accounted for it because Jalen Milrow, up to this point in the year, uh, when you include sacks, had a total of, I believe, 143 rushing yards on the season. Go ahead. No, you're. I'm agreeing with you because you're about to say a number that's bigger than that number. He ended the game with 155 rushing yards, four touchdowns, eight yards per carry, which includes the two sacks that he took as well. Um, Jalen Milrow had not been able to do that against any defense that they had played this year. And if you look at it as a whole, this Alabama offense against the lights of Ole Miss, South Florida, and I know Milward wasn't the start against South Florida, but still, South Florida, like, go down the list of teams Alabama has played, and you're going to be like, wow, Arkansas had a better showing than this. Tennessee, obviously. Um, A&M, obviously. Texas, obviously. Jalen Milrow had not had a performance like this all year, and for him to come out and light up LSU's defense with his legs which you can watch any game to this point in the year, Texas, Tennessee, all of them. He was so focused on becoming a passer that I went into the game saying, man, just blitz him, just blitz him. He's not running. He's not looking to run. And whether it's saving, whether it's him, whether it's instinct, I don't know, but he just gashed LSU early and often. And LSU made seemingly made no adjustments or was unable to make any adjustments to to stall him out and to stop the only real way they were moving the ball because yes their receivers sure he completed 15 passes for 219 yards that's not what was beating LSU in a game where we went into it saying the secondary was the problem they're gonna throw long balls they're gonna attack the corners the corners really didn't get exposed like at all I mean they allowed a couple catches here and there but overall the secondary is not what lost in the game the fact that they were unable to contain Jalen Milrow's legs was what cost them the game. Because Jason McClellan, 4.5 yards per carry. 
Royda Williams had some success in the second half, but Jalen Milrow's legs were the single most prominent factor, and that's what I did not account for going into this game, and it didn't look like LSU was accounting for it either, and they just never were able to adjust. No, and I said it last week on the preview and prediction pod. I thought both teams would run the quarterback more by design yes. runs. Really, Milrow would scramble and realize, hey, look, they're in man or they're doing what like, I've got room to run. And he would do it much like Jaden does quite often. Um, and that stings. And to drive home your point, the worry was so much about DBs. Oh, Milrow's going to pop passes on them, all this. The two longest pass plays for Alabama were to running backs. It was dump offs that went for 35 and 40 yards. Those were the longest receptions by anyone on Alabama's roster. So it was not the receivers that are not even the norm of Bama receivers. You know, this isn't Smitty and them out there. Mm -hmm. They didn't tear apart LSU's DBs. It was what we also said, Matty B, you said, will they deviate from what they normally do, which is run the football? In a way they did because they did it with Milrow, but not really. They just ran the football and that was going to be enough. And I think it points to the reality of like, why was there no spy? What, why not just, if he's gassed you all game, why not just sit there and spy then? Or even even as a defensive line, you when you face a mobile quarterback like that, you might be uh, hedge the pass rush a little bit, or you maybe you're, no, you're not as aggressive getting upfield, so that way the lanes are clogged up a little bit here or there. You can see things better. It, it just never felt like they were able to take the running lanes away, which is incredible. Um, considering that's all they that's all Milrow had. He ran the ball almost as much as he threw the ball when he dropped back to pass. And um I the defensive line, it, it's really one of it's probably it's the I think we've been asked this before what's the like the most disappointing unit or something on the defense, and you could say secondary, sure, but you can say a lot of different things. I mean, to me, it's the defensive line by far. And I know Mikhail Wingo was out. Um the the defensive end spot is a weakness. The Jack spot is a weakness. The defensive tackle spot now with Wingo out, I don't think is a strength. Even Mason Smith is a not where he needs to be recovering from that injury at this point. Um, I'll go back and watch the tape to see if Jefferson stood out, but I didn't notice him in a, in a prominent way. So you have a game where we, we said early, we said, all right, Alabama's offensive line has struggled with, AM, Texas, Tennessee, all defenses that are pretty good, but you know, maybe LSUs can get some pressure here. Maybe they can not let Alabama just push them around. And I never felt like LSU's D-line was a problem. And that's that's not good. I um we'll get into more defense here. Let's get a, a quick ad read and a shout out to Andy Ludicky, who uh sponsors us every week at my perfect franchise. Uh and it's in the name. Uh, are you ready to leave the corporate rat race for the American dream? Are you looking for the side hustle while you work your current job? Do you want to diversify, build wealth, leave a legacy, leave something onto your kids? Uh, that's what Andy does. Uh, his business is booming. He's got a lot of people reaching out. One reason for it, his service is 100% free. It's to call him, start talking about things, get some advice, cost you no money. Um, you can reach him, Andy, at myperfectfranchise.net. Give him a call at 404-973-9901. That's 404-973-9901. Andy, A-N-D-Y, at myperfectfranchise.net. Or just go to the website, myperfectfranchise.net, uh, and check out what he's all about. He is a guy who has been in the consulting business for a couple of decades. He is a franchise owner himself. 
And uh, we see more and more people getting uh, into franchises, whether it's on their own or in groups or just as a small time investor. He does it all. He's talked about it, whatever financial uh, requirements kind of you're within, uh, however much time you have, what your kind of skill sets are, background are, and maybe what you could do and be interested in. He's dealt with it all. Um, so give him a shout. Uh, Andy at myperfectfranchise.net is the email or 404-973-9901. Big college football fan Andy is, and I know he was watching that one last night. Um, also, he's a guy who's I think he's a UT grad. Boy, he was sweating out that K-State game till the end. K-State pulled some of the most bonehead Final Four plays I've ever seen uh, within the 10-yard line to, for the Longhorns to hold on. But shout out to Andy. Um, he helps out all fan bases. Uh, when it comes to business, it ain't just Longhorns. It's everybody. So, um, But moving on, defense, let me – I want to read something to you and you tell me how you react to this. Here was your starters on defense last night because we knew they were going into the game without their – best starter at corner without Greg Brooks, who obviously is battling brain cancer. He's their best DB on their team. And Makai Wingo has been their best D lineman was not available. Then you toss in, they didn't have any of the four transfer corners. It is what it is. They are half of them weren't playing anyways. Here's the starters on defense. Jordan Jefferson. I'm going to go D line first. Jordan Jefferson, a veteran transfer from West Virginia. Is he a solid player, not someone who's going to completely take over a game? Mason Smith, former five-star, never been the same, at least not yet, after that uh, ACL injury a year ago. Savion Jones, he catches so much slack, highly rated player coming out of St. James. He's not been as bad as people think this year. He actually is second on the team in tackles for loss. He had a big pass breakup last night as well, but you want more from everyone, so I'm fine with that. At the Jack, Ovia Gofu. A guy who's played at three different colleges, including for Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, is in his like sixth year now, basically, fifth or sixth year. He's just a veteran that they trust. Omar Spates, a transfer from Oregon State, another veteran that they trust. When I think to me and others, it's clear at this point that they've got a true freshman in weeks who pops a lot more when he's out there. But you're starting a veteran, Omar Spates, a transfer. Harold Perkins. All right, let's I'll take Harold Perkins any day of the week. And yeah. The issue has become, and you can open up on that, is how they use him because he is now also being used in coverage. Well, he's the highest-graded coverage linebacker in America. He's been excellent. If you just want him rushing the passer, well, you can do that too. But where's the balance? You have to find it. He can't just get lost in games. Uh, Linebacker Greg Penn. Greg Penn is who he is. Reliable, sound, not going to be a future top 50 draft pick or anything like that, but is a solid college linebacker. I thought he was was decent yesterday for what it's worth. Played solid. You know what you get out of Greg Penn. I'm, I've always liked Greg Penn. He's not the best player on your team, but he's he's solid. So. Corner, Sage Ryan. Sage Ryan actually plays safety. He's not a corner. Uh, Javian Tobiano, corner. He actually plays safety. He's not a corner. He's also a true freshman. This is his first ever start. And did he make some mistakes? Sure, but he tried and he was out there hustling. And then you had two safeties. Andre Sam, a transfer who started at McNeese, went to Marshall, went to Tulane, and then realized LSU would offer me late, jumped on board. Major Burns, another guy, four-star out of Baton Rouge, but a transfer. That's so far from the standard of what LSU has in terms of a team that recruits at a high level and develops. And it goes back to the reality that Brian Kelly took over a team with 38 scholarship players. This is what you're going to deal with, into even into year two, because while I do think there are guys that are young on this team, 
that I promised that can be developed right now, this year, those are your options. And those I named like half of them are transfers and not elite ones. They were guys that were recruited as depth and they start now. Yeah. I, I, everybody's going to ask every single person. The heck they're probably going to ask their friends. That's the conversation around the water cooler on Monday is going to be, do you think it's coaching or do you think it's talent? And I don't think anybody has a clear grasp on it. I don't think there is a reason to have a clear grasp on it because I think it is fairly, the the blame is shared. And I, you can call Absolutely. that a cop out, whatever you want, but the talent on this defense is not up to par by any stretch of the imagination, but you still should not be getting just, I don't want to say embarrassed, but demoralized against team, good teams. You play every single good team you play demoralized of this, uh, at this level. Um, I just, I look at this as it is a rebuild, but more than anything, I think when Greg Brooks went down, I was like, damn, this is going to be a bigger deal than I think we anticipated being because they end up going to Harold Perkins at that nickel Sam spot. It feels like that he was kind of forced there because they didn't want to put him at Jack. They didn't want to put him at linebacker. Um, it just never felt like this defense throughout the entire off season and now into the season ever felt comfortable with what it was. Uh, it felt like it was constantly trying to figure out, well, maybe if we do this or do this, then we can figure something out. It was moving to Sean Womack from Jack to edge. It was moving everybody around seemingly. And now it's like, all right, now JV and Toviano's at corner. Now say, say Ryan's at corner. Now, um, you know, we're going to have to play more defensive linemen here and there. Parishan from uh, defensive end, to, you know, de-tackled the defensive end. It was just a lot of movement, moving parts. And it, it's not a unit that's comfortable enough to do that. It's not a unit no. that's good enough <clears throat> to do that. And I think sometimes when you see guys moving around positions in fall camp, that's what it's for, right? You're, you're feeling out if he's better yeah. here or is he better there? Do we get a little more depth here or there? I think this was more of an indication of, man, we really just don't have the pieces. Well, so how do, he, how do we figure this out yeah. and shift guys around? And you've got two starting corners versus Bama who are really safeties. And you were bit by an injury bug, obviously, uh, to your best corner. And then the Greg Brooks, that's taking two of your best players off the field. Makai Wing goes out, and he's your best alignment. So it is a combination of there. Are, I'm not going to pick on any guys. There's a talent deficiency. There's guys out who are. That's just what you do. What happens in football? Obviously, not with Greg Brooks. That's rare. But um, you run into issues where you don't have guys available. But then it's also coaching, and it is because at the end of the day. Not every team has Alabama's roster. Not every team has Georgia's roster. And LSU is looking to get back to where the gap is closed on that. In the meantime, how can you coach up a team that may lack talent, that may lack depth, that may lack these different things, and find success and not just say, well, you know what, they're not very good, and that's why we're the hundred and something you know, defense in the yeah. country. I don't even know what it is this morning, but it's not going to be good. Probably last. Uh, back outside the 100s. And there's only 133 teams. So you're one of the worst in football. It, and we've had this discussion on the board and and I really liked this. Um, and, I, and I'm hoping I'm able to frame this correctly. 
and how I'm, I'm trying to get it across. But if you are, let's say, tr um, a high school teacher and uh, you're getting kids ready for the ACT or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, if you're at a an expensive private school somewhere and you've got kids who are honor roll students, top of the class, very motivated yeah. um, and are able to learn what you're teaching them at the base level and then execute with it. That's one thing. LSU right now is not that you have a group where you're more you're not at the private school. You're at the public school in whatever city where kids didn't have access to this, didn't have access to whatever else. And they can't be taught in the same way as those other kids. You have to adjust your teaching style and then you get results. Those kids end up being honor roll students. So kids end up with high ACT scores and going to college, even though they didn't come from the same background as these other kids. So if right now you are, have a talent deficiency, which they do, Power, you've got to be able to coach it up in a way to where, okay, these guys get it. This is what we need to be doing. This is how we should be running it. I feel like, and it's just from an outside view, there's got to be a lack of that going on because the results for me look the same every week. Anytime they play a competent offense, they're getting scored on. Like there's never answers this year. And it's really baffling to me because a year ago, Matt House as defensive coordinator after halftime, adjustments were like his bread and butter they would come out and play really well this year to me it just seems like teaching moments are being lost left and right and i just don't know i don't understand the approach of what's going on all week where every weekend who anyone with a competent offense is putting up career numbers on you yeah um i think you you, you said that well um yeah, the, I mean, losing the, the secondary drop-off from last year to this year, you go obviously from Jay Ward, Joe Fusha, Greg Brooks, Jarek Bernard Converse, and Makai Gardner to this unit. It is a drastic difference. Um, I do think the drop-off from, you know, B.J. Ojolari to Ovi and uh, Swenson is significant. Heck, well, we haven't seen anyone step up like a Jaquel and Roy. We haven't. Yeah. I mean, you're Jay right. Roy, there were people last year that made that defense better than this one. Yeah. Um, heck, Michael Baskerville. Uh, you, Michael Baskerville was better than Omar Spates, right, at this point in the year. So yes. You go down the list and it's like, all right, <laughs> talent-wise, you see this, and then you you watch a game of Missouri against Greg, Georgia. Greg Brooks being out there won them the Auburn game at the end when he rips it out yep. of Coy Moore's hands and runs it back. Like, they had guys last year that were making plays. This exactly. year, guys aren't making plays. Exactly. So not only do you not have the talent, but then you don't have what we assume to be the teaching ability slash scheme to stop an Alabama offense that is incredibly limited, incredibly one-dimensional, and basically beat you just because Jalen Milrow ran the ball on you and you were unable to adjust. The in-game adjustments, like you said, have been few and far between. I mean, Arkansas hung in there with – we forget about the Arkansas game. Arkansas hung in there with them for the entire second half, basically. Um, and then you go down the list of Ole Miss and Missouri and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I said coming in, you can pull the clip from two weeks ago, I think it was, where I said the winner of this game was going to have 45 points, and I did not believe in LSU's defense to stop them. And um, the winner only had 42, but it damn near felt like 45-plus. So – um, I don't have much else on the defense for, I mean, we could talk big picture at another point. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see over the off season, what, how this trans, how this, you know, 
manifest itself, how it plays out. But um, yeah, I don't know because portal doesn't seem like a great answer right now, but I think at the end of the day, coaching schematics and continuity are going to be there. Main well, and the, you don't want to rely on the portal, but you also need to evaluate the portal properly, just like you do high school recruiting. And I would, I think that maybe this year they didn't evaluate it as well as a year ago. And I think that's fair to say, and that's a reality that we're watching. I'll briefly say this because you're right. We can get into, there'll be a million mailbag questions about it. Yes. LSU fans. I'll say this. You don't want to admit it because you want to forget it. The end of the 2019 amazing season, 2020 COVID, it is, you know, it is what it was, but they were bad. They went five and five. The following season in 2021, you go six and six. Then they lose a bowl game and you had John Trey Kirkland as your starting quarterback. That was the first losing season since 1999. Brian Kelly comes in here, takes over a roster with 38 players. You're allowed 85. He's got 38. So when they exceeded expectations in year one, they were supposed to be a six to seven win team. They get to double digit wins and win the West. I don't care how it happened. They did it. And that I think set the benchmark of, okay, well then progression in year two, for me, make a new year six bowl. Well, at this point it looks like, the best outcome would be getting back to nine and three. That is feasible. You've got games against Florida and AM left and Georgia State. They're all at home. We'll see what's up with Jaden Daniels, but nine and three. I'm not, it's that's not doomsday. I, I'm understanding that they're going through a process here of where the roster had to be flipped and it's just not as good as it was. Now you need to recruit better, you need to evaluate better. Um, will coaching changes come? I'd almost be certain of it because I'll tell you this, Brian Kelly is made it very clear. This is the final stop of his career. He is on the backside of his coaching, you know, time 30 plus years as a head coach. He came here to win championships. <clears throat> if it is affecting the play on the field, wins and losses for coaches, he'll move on. He did it with his best friend last year because the special teams was awful. And People say, well, what will he do at D.C.? I don't know what he does at D.C., but if there is a change to be made outside of Van Gorder at Notre Dame, and I guess he had once had a in Diaco's on staff right now, but think about the D.C.s he's hired. Clark Lee, Mike Elko, Marcus Freeman. These are some of the elite D.C.s in the game who have gone on to become head coaches, who have gone on to or play even bigger roles at different schools. So I trust much like O-line and tight in with Brian Kelly, hiring DCs. Like, I think he gets it. And we weren't sitting around crushing Matt House every game last year. But now that the defense is so bad, you have to point that somewhere. If Brian Kelly sees something that needs to get fixed, he'll fix it. I, I have full faith in that. I've seen nothing that leads me to believe he's just going to play buddy, buddy, and keep the staff all together and forever. I mean, him and Matt House didn't even work together before, Exactly. So. It's not, I think it's a thing where he will address the issues likely in the off season, just like he did a year ago. See if you can get to nine and three. I doubt you're making a new year six bowl, obviously at this point, but that was my hope for this team before the season. Um, but again, back to back potential nine wins, 10 win seasons are improvement upon back to back 500 regular seasons and your first losing season since 99 
and a coach having to not take over a good roster, but one that was completely depleted. And he's having to balance the portal and high school recruiting and a new staff recruiting down here. So whether it's getting stronger recruiters, Matty B on defense, whether it's changing up some yeah. defensive staff, I don't know. That's up to Brian Kelly. He gets paid a lot to do it. And Woodward will certainly have a hand in saying, look, here's things that need to be changed. But I bet that Brian Kelly already realizes it, that any progress has to be continued to be viewed as linear. You don't just go from 38 scholarship players in your first losing season since 99 and say, it's year two. I mean, we should be in the playoffs. Remember, the playoffs are about to expand to 12 teams. So, yeah. yes, I know you're adding OU in Texas, but there it becomes an easier chance for you to get into this mathematically, even if you lose a game or two. I think that LSU is going to be fine. They are not sitting out here like an AM who's staring seven and five in the face and are doing so and going backwards. LSU is trending upwards. In year one, Matty B, you win the West. In year two, you have the best offense in college football. Those are things other teams can't claim. Like that's progress coming from where you were. I yep. know it's frustrating today because you are officially out of the race for the West. You're officially out of the race for the playoffs or potentially a New Year's Six Bowl. That stings. But the perception has to remain, this is about what realistic expectations were. Yeah, I think the, the over-under in Vegas was nine and a half. So uh, they at nine, that is the under, but it is right there. Um, yeah, I, I feel like the frustration is more so not about this game because in theory, in a vacuum, losing to Alabama in Alabama uh, when you have a significantly less talented roster is not the frustration. The frustration comes with um, you've lost now to Florida State, Ole Miss, and Alabama. Uh, you're 6-3 and three overall. I will say I don't have the strength of schedule numbers in front of me. I'm pretty sure this is still the toughest strength of schedule in the country because Florida State, if you were there, it was a road game. That is a 95% Florida State crowd. Um, Ole Miss, obviously road game, potential top 10 team, Missouri road game. They win that game top, in my opinion, top 15 team in the country, regardless of where they rank Alabama on the road, top 10 team. This has been a brutal stretch of games. Um, and I think it's been, you know, maybe people have overlooked it because you had the army game maybe in the, uh, the uh, Mississippi State game and the Auburn games and whatnot, but the tough games on the schedule have been legitimately games that most teams would lose. And obviously you don't want to be in that category of most teams would lose, but this is year two under Brian Kelly where the defense is not going to let you win those games at bottom line. And so if this team had a competent, competent defense, they're probably only maybe at one loss on the year. Yeah. If they don't schedule, if they schedule a cupcake like half of college football and don't open with Florida State, who is a top five, what five team in the country, yeah. whatever they are right now, then you're at two losses. Lou, I predicted them at the beginning of the year to lose in Tuscaloosa before we knew how bad the defense was, before we knew how great the offense was. Yeah. Ole Miss is what sings. You yeah. put up 49 on the road and you lose. Ole Miss is the one. Ole Miss is the you one. That's going to be the one. Nine on the road and you lost. Yeah, that's the haunting. That's the one. one that stings. I mean, I you wake up, you're mad because you've lost Alabama. Is what is there? This that is absolutely the worst one. Beyond Florida State, it's losing a conference game when you scored 49 points on the road. Yes, to a top um, ten team. Yeah, 
So I, again, that that's the one that should really frustrate people, and that's where the defensive coordinator and defensive talk really stems from. Even though it's been a problem all year, uh, I will also say I do think there is significant amount of pressure on this team to beat Florida and A and M going down the stretch of games. Um, not because you know you want to, you know, you want to get to nine and three because it's a milestone or anything like that, but A and M and Florida to me as rivals. I think that that does hold some significance with how you know Brian Kelly can end the year. If you beat Florida and you beat AM, I do think that wins people back and you get to nine and three. Oh, winnable. If you're game. nine and three, you've got one of the best offenses in the country. And, and then you've got signing day around the corner. Things are feeling better. And another thing is I do think, like we saw last year, Brian Kelly is going to take the bowl game seriously, regardless of what bowl game it is. So it doesn't matter if you get pull out a random team, UCLA, they're going to take it seriously. And then you get to 10 wins. I went into, I think after the Florida State game, I was like, you know, if they end the year 10 and three after a 10 and four year, and you told LSU fans coming off of the six and six years, hey, we're going to get you 10 and four, 10 and three, first two years of Brian Kelly. Everybody's signing up for that. Everybody is signing up for that. Now it's about year three. And I think that's partially where some of the panic comes into is, we don't know how the defense is going to get better and you're losing Jay and Daniels and Malik neighbors and Brian Thomas, but that is all for another day. We don't yes. need to dive into that. Now I promise you the offense, I, I will be fine. I do think the offense will be fine. It's the defense that they're going to have to remodel and remake. All right. Well, let's wrap That's it up. That's plenty of thoughts. That is plenty of thoughts, plenty of thoughts. I didn't know I had this much energy. I thought I was just going to, there you go. I was He's back after the drive, but here we are. Uh, the world has not ended. They need to get some wins. It'd be massive for recruiting if they can finish nine and three. So Monday mailbag coming y'all's way. We'll talk more about it uh, tomorrow, but that is it for today. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Uh, leave a like, comment, share, subscribe. Uh, we'll be back with the mailbag. Ooh, it's already Sunday. I'm used to doing these on Saturday. Um, but yeah, we'll be back this week and we will see y'all then. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.